from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on Wake Up Call DT.mix as well as on Mix as well as on MixLR.com backslash Wake Up Call DT. That's where the live feed is. It's embedded on the Wake Up Call homepage. That's why you can get it on Wake Up Call DT.com. So we appreciate it. However, you're listening to the broadcast this morning. We have a an amazing show. I'm very excited about this. We're coming off of Syracuse's debut officially for men's basketball. The women's basketball team has been in action as well. Continued prayers for Tiana Mangakahia, who is going through surgery in connection with uh, breast cancer and everything that she's had going on. So continued prayers for Tiana and uh, and you know just the entire Syracuse community. There's uh, sectional games that are going on. Sectional soccer has been going on. Football is going to be going on this weekend. So a lot of great conversations and a lot of great things are are happening here in our community of central and upstate new york so however you're connected to the community thank you so much and to the people that are all around the country that you know have different things on their mind as as we get set for this morning's show uh, obviously always hoping the best for everybody out there and uh, sending positive vibes and positives uh, all over the place so with that being said we're on facebook live as well facebook.com backslash live now dt that is facebook.com backslash live now DT, and we're inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studio. So, however you're listening, however you're connecting with the show, that is where we are, and that's what we're doing. Mon Paz Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory proudly bring you what's popping every single Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And what's popping today is what's popping every Thursday during the season, and that. That is Papa Joe's Picks. Papa Joe will be joining us this morning to speak on a plethora of topics. Those topics will include the unbeatens. We've done that every single week. We've talked about the teams that are still unbeaten in college football, so we'll continue that conversation on who's unbeaten as we head into week number 11. We'll also get into the conversation on the first college football playoff ranker came out for the top 25 for the college football playoff, and so we'll discuss that. That came out this past Tuesday night. We'll talk about the woes of Syracuse football as we started discussing this week. Gardner Minshew and Nick Foles in Jacksonville and what that looks like, as well as give our picks for week 11. That'll all be coming up momentarily, but not before I let you all know that uh, we will be having in the second hour of the show, Sonny Spira, and you see his picture right there going up against Michael Jordan. Sonny Spira will be joining us at 10.30 a.m. in the second hour of the show to discuss his recent honor from Syracuse University, as well as his thoughts on the basketball team coming off of their football game against Virginia that they lost on the basketball court, 48-34. to And we'll have some talk in general of Syracuse Orange basketball and football throughout, so that's why you see those two pictures there. So that's what's popping inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios, 3150 Erie Boulevard East in Syracuse, New York. And with that being said, we're hopping right into the sports talk when it comes to football on the side of college and professional. And that means we need Papa Joe here on Thursday. PJ, how are we doing today? Good morning, Daniel. Everything's fine down here. How is, how's the, I'm going to be down there and actually 
a week from today, I will be down there. So how is the weather right now? You'll be fine. It's uh, early 80s and nice and clear. Uh, and it's supposed to snow up here this week. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. You're getting, a, you're getting a bad spell up there. So are my bros in Milwaukee, so it's all right. Yeah, well, hopefully enjoy it for me. I'll be enjoying it soon enough. Uh, Papa Joe here with us this morning to talk on a bunch of different things. I put off the uh, or I put up the college football playoff ranking. Uh, came out this past Tuesday, and uh, right before 10 p.m., they released the first college football playoff ranker of the season, which joins the AP and the coaches poll. So what we currently have right now, and I'm going to run through the top 25, and then uh, we'll break it down piece by piece. Ohio State was given number one, and Ohio State, mind you, is not number one in any other poll. The coaches was Alabama, the AP was LSU, and in the college football playoff ranking, which is the one that matters most, Ohio State is first, LSU is second, then Alabama is fourth, or third, third, pardon me, fourth is Penn State, fifth is Clemson, and then sixth, Georgia, seven, Oregon, eight, Utah, nine, Oklahoma, ten, Florida, eleven, Auburn, twelve, Baylor, Number 13 is Wisconsin. Number 14, Michigan. Number 15, Independent, Notre Dame. Number 16, Kansas State. 17, Minnesota. 18, Iowa. 19, Wake Forest, which is only the second ACC team in the college football playoff ranker. And then the majority of the 20 to 25 belongs to the American Athletic Conference, who sent four. Cincinnati is 20. Memphis is 21. Navy is 24, SMU is 25, and amidst all of that, at number 22 is Boise State, the Mountain West representation, and number 23, Oklahoma State. So, with that being said, Papa Joe, the top four, if the college football playoff happened today, would be one-seed Ohio State against four-seeded Penn State, which would be a Big Ten rivalry game, and number three, Alabama, against number two, LSU, which, which would be an SEC rivalry game. Thoughts on the top four if this was the college football playoff? I don't know what these guys are looking at. You got the defending national championship two out of the last three years. They're undefeated. And they're fifth? No, doesn't figure, Daniel, doesn't figure. I don't understand where Penn State comes in on this. Penn State's going to wind up playing Minnesota and uh, Ohio State. So they got a chance of losing two games. They're sure as heck aren't going to win two games. So, you know, go figure. I don't. I don't get it at all. I mean, you're supposed to beat these teams on the field, not in the polls. Yeah. If and you know, Clemson deserves to be there. Period. I mean, if you can't beat them in the polls, you got to beat them on the field. Case closed. Well, and that's the, That's the big topic right now. Is you know, Clemson being just outside of it as it currently stands. And I said, you know, obviously this team. I mean, they're catching their stride at the right time. They typically catch their stride, you know, toward the second half of the season. If they start to struggle a little bit. They start to pick it up. We know they struggled against North Carolina, but since then have, have picked up pace. So, you know, we are seeing that typical trend of Clemson. But at the same time, when it comes to Clemson, we're looking at the fact that, you know, this is a team that doesn't look as strong as they did last year, yet they're still undefeated. So uh, maybe, you know, the college football playoff committee is looking at this from the sense of they're not as strong as last year. They're not showing as much as they did last year, but at the same time, like you said, they're undefeated. They've won multiple championships the last few seasons. You know, amidst that, they've won a couple. So, and they're typically playing in the championship game. So, I guess you know the question that arises is, how do you look at it? Now, I'm not for historically looking at it, saying, well, Clemson was good, and so they still should be in it. 
I look at season by season, and this season they are undefeated, yet it's not as much hoopla over it, and I think the ACC being so weak this season is something that's affecting it as well. Do you feel like the ACC is, is ultimately affecting Clemson? Yes, you're uh, exactly right. I mean, the, the, the schedule, look, at they they make their schedule years in advance, these teams. Yeah. And, you know, they're not held res- they're not held responsible for the poor uh, showing of the other teams in the league. I mean, I mean, the other teams could be undefeated, too, coming up to them, uh, Syracuse and whatnot. But, you know, they're going to go through their conference undefeated. They've been in the top five for I don't know how many, how many years, probably five or something like that. They deserve to be in a conversation. Uh, I, you know, they're not going to slip up. They're not going to lose. You know, their coach sometimes pulls the plug on their team or makes it that the scores look a little closer than normal. Uh, and, I mean, when, you, when you're probably five deep, you can afford to play these guys five deep. So, you know, they, they were when they played Wolford, which is a, you know, a terrible, terrible team. Not a terrible team, but, you know, they're not in the class of Clemson. Right. But just because they're in South Carolina, and South Carolina is going to play them too. So, you know, it was something like 45 to nothing in the first quarter, some ridiculous score, you know. And then in the second half, he plays a million guys, and uh, Wolford scores 14 points or 15 points. So, you know, he's trying to keep everyone fresh. He's trying to keep his Lawrence fresh. You know, Lawrence is going through a little bit of a sophomore uh, blip a little, if you want to call it a blip. I mean, a guy's still formidable. Uh, I want to see him play, and I want to see him play on the field, and I want to see teams beat him on the field, not on the pools. Well, you know, and that's where we sit right now is the fact that, you know, the ACC, like you said, you know, schedules are made in advance, but, the you know, the ACC has been weak this year outside of Wake Forest, who's in the Atlantic, and Clemson, who's in the Atlantic, the Coastal Division has been, and it was last year. It was week last year when when Pittsburgh won it, and they had a seven and five overall record. So, you know, as it looks right now, if we look at the rest of Clemson's schedule, what they have going on is they'll be at NC State, who has been atrocious this year. Then they have to play Wake Forest, which is a big time game because if Wake Forest is to stay undefeated, and this is a big if, but I'm just stating an obvious fact: if Wake Forest is to stay undefeated and Clemson is to lose to Wake Forest. Then in conference, they would have, you know, Wake Forest would have a loss, Clemson would have a loss. They'd each have one loss, but Wake Forest would own the tiebreaker and Wake would actually play in the ACC Championship over Clemson to represent the Atlantic Division. So, I'm not saying it would, but I'm saying Clemson or Wake Forest is a lot better than people give them any credit for. They're 7 and 1 overall. And it is, it is an actual potential occurrence, not that it will happen, but that it could happen, that Wake Forest can actually still win the division, which, if for nothing else, I think makes November 16th very interesting at 3.30 p.m. Right. That would be a heck of a game to watch, too. And uh, I don't think Wake Forest is going to roll over. Uh, it's going to be a good game, well-fought game. But, you know, the coach at Clemson is, is – Got, has got his team playing well, as you stated, later in the year. I don't see them tripping up at all, and I see them coming on all gears. So, you know, you look at Penn State and you look at, and you look at Clemson, and like you said, you know, you would, take, you would take Clemson and put them in there. How do you feel about the rest of the ranker right now that the college football playoff committee believes that Ohio State is the best team in the country, followed by LSU and Alabama? 
Well, I think I'm probably going to have to apologize to everyone because I've been bad mouthing Ohio State all year long. Uh, I, I guess I got to uh, I got to admit that they do belong in a conversation. Not so much Penn State or Minnesota, but you know Ohio State should be there. Uh, they really haven't been they haven't been tested yet either. So uh, I'm okay with Alabama and LSU, of course. And for you fans that are listening nationwide, you're going to see another hellacious SEC game again this weekend. Uh, this is, I think, the fifth uh, fifth week in a row we've seen a really, really good SEC game. And this one, this one, I wouldn't be surprised if it breaks all the numbers for attendance. This is going to be a, a heck of a game. Hard-hitting, fast, explosive. I don't know if they're going to score 50 points each or they're going to score 10 points each. It's <laughs> very difficult. It's difficult to figure because both teams have great defenses and uh, – Super, extremely fast offenses. When I saw LSU play Florida, I didn't think they were as fast on the field as they were. I was surprised. And we know Alabama's fast. He's got those four wideouts that can run away from anyone. So, And two is supposed to be ready to play. Whether he does or not, I'm not sure. But uh, uh, there's no doubt in my mind he's going to play. But, you know, they're going to say that he may not play. But, you know, that's just a little, little trick trying to – mess around with LSU's mind, but it's going to be a heck of a game. Absolutely. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. And you got, you know, going back to the to the ACC, I mean, that they've been formidable in the past with Miami and, and Boston College and Florida State. And Florida State, look at poor Florida State. I mean, here I say Florida State. I'm a Florida guy, and I'm saying poor Florida State. What those people did to Willie Taggart was atrocious. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that they should have kept the man on to the end of the year. Why would you want to fire the coach immediately like that, piss away the rest of the season, although they probably weren't going to win anyway. Yeah. No continuity whatsoever. Odell Haggins has been around there for years. He's a he's a great defensive coach. He's going to take over uh, you know, being a, the head coach, which, which isn't going to get him anywhere. I mean, Willie Taggart, he may not have been the right guy for the job, but FSU mishandled this terribly. It, they should be embarrassed. Bad deal. Well, I, I've never, you know, and, and that's the thing is I, I've never been one to want a coach to to see a coach be fired in the middle of the season. I mean, unless unless there's some type of, you know, like action, like something going on outside of it that's just like really, really bad, you know, off the field stuff or, you know, fighting with players or, or you know, breaking the rules or something like that. But I feel like when you're having a bad season and things aren't going well, and you feel like a changing of the guard may be coming when you get rid of a coach in the middle of the season. It it, it just I mean it kind of, like you said it kind of gives up on the season. It gives up on the kids for those people that are seniors on the team that are finishing up. You know it's a slap in their face because it's kind of just accepting defeat and saying okay we're going to build toward the future. And if you're not going to be on the team in the future, well you know tough nuggies for you so to speak. So you know I, I think it's really hard to stomach something like that. And especially to not even let Willie finish his season. But, you know, the buyout was a lot of money and, you know, millions of dollars we're talking about. So if Florida State, you know, is willing to, you know, if there's enough people willing to foot that bill and get them out of there, you know, then that's kind of on them that they spent that money. And, you know, they had to spend the money on him to get him there and spend the money to get him out of there. But, you know, it's, it's very strange to me and, and I'm not a big fan of it. You know, there's I, I will talk about the conversation of I don't think a coach lasts past this game if this happens, but that's a lot different than me saying that I like the fact that coaches get fired in the middle of the season. I've never been for that because I feel like it ultimately, 
It just, it does. It admits defeat. It hurts the team overall. It puts you in a bad predicament, and I don't think that it does anybody any good. But, you know, Florida State is used to winning. They're used to vying for championships in the ACC. They're used to, you know, they want to vie for national championships. So, you know, 5-7 and seven and 6-6 six and six and 4-5 and five under Willie Taggart this year, you know, wasn't cutting it. And, you know, obviously the around the 6-6 six and six thing was around Jimbo's time and Five and five and seven last year with Willie Taggart's not acceptable to Florida State, but you know they're kind of like an SEC team where if you're there for 13 minutes, that 14th minute you may not be in that room. So that's right, and and their their AD is woofing on the radio and on uh, on the newspaper saying they're going to have a coach by the end of the month. Now, how are they going to do that? Are, are they going to go after a current coach like Norvell Fleck Levitt? Lance Kiffin is even mentioned. You know, you, you can't go interrupting other schools' football programs yeah. and call the AD and say, uh, can I have permission to talk to your coach about our job? And the AD is going to say, no, you can't do that. You know, and they're going to – now if, if they want to get someone by the end of the month, that means they're going to have to get someone from a lower class somewhere or maybe someone that's not employed right now. They have to make a splash. And I don't see how they're going to make a splash – yeah. And by the end of the month, because the teams are not, if they're looking for other coaches on other teams, the, the other teams are not done playing football. So, you know, I, I can't figure what they're doing. They, they've mishandled this thing from the get-go. They did it at the beginning of last year to hiring Willie Taggart, and now this fiasco at the end of the year. It's ridiculous. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a look at, you know, uh, the, the names that are on some of the boards here. Uh, Matt Rule, who I knew at Temple when he was there for a couple seasons, went to Baylor and, you know, took over a program amidst an athletic department that was in all kinds of shambles and has turned that around to be an undefeated team, the only undefeated team in the Big 12. Matt Rule signed a contract extension in September that goes through 2027. So he is supposed to be in... $1.6 million, I might add. <laughs> right, so you got a lot of money. Uh, Mark Stoops. Stoops has a contract extension that goes through 2025. His current salary is just under $5 million. Uh, P.J. Fleck at Minnesota, his salary is $3.6 million. It goes to $4.6 million. It jumps a it jumps million dollars in 2020. He signed a contract extension with Minnesota through 2026. Uh, Matt Campbell at Iowa State has a contract extension through 2023. He's making $3.6 million. Uh, Dave Clawson at Wake Forest, who never gets any respect except for on this show, and hopefully other people start to learn. I'm sure other people respect him, but... Damn it, they they deserve better. And I've been respecting Dave Clawson since he walked in the door. But Dave Clawson signed a contract extension that runs through 2026. We don't know the buyout information, but his salary is low. So, I mean, he could be looking at an increase. He's making just under $2.2 million. Uh, James Franklin of Penn State signed a six-year, $34.7 million contract that goes through 2022. His buyout's only a $1 million, believe it or not. Uh, Gary Patterson of TCU... His salary is just under $5 million. He signed on through 2024. And Scott Satterfield, who left Appalachian State, signed a six-year contract with Louisville. He's got him in, in good pacing right now this season and his first season. He signed through 2024. Les Miles at Kansas is signed through 2023. He's making just under $3 million. Mike Leach at Washington State is another guy that was brought up 2023 is what he signed through, uh, just under $4 million. My guy, Mike Norvella, Memphis, his buyout's 500000 
He's making just under $3 million at the American Athletic Conference, who I believe is paying him very closely to what Dino's making in the ACC, which shows you how cheap Syracuse is. 2023, Mike Norvell has his contract. Uh, Luke Fickle, Cincinnati, 2022 is where he's sitting at. He's got a six-year contract, $13.4 million, and uh, the current salary is $2.3 million. His buyout is less than $3.5 million, but more than seven hundred and. 50,000 depending on the year he leaves. And then uh, Brian Harson at Boise State has been brought up. 2023 is what he's through. His salary is under 2 million. His buyout's 350,000. So you hear those names, Mr. Papa Joe, here this morning. You hear Brian Harson, Luke Fickle, Mike Norvell, Mike Leach, Les Miles, Scott Satterfield, Gary Patterson, James Franklin, Dave Clawson, Matt Campbell, PJ Fleck, Mark Stoops, Matt Rule. What are your thoughts? Well, you know they got to they got to really do their vetting their own selves. You know they're going to have to their agents going to have to dig around and say what is good about Florida State right now and what isn't good about Florida State right now. Florida State, remember, is maybe your readers don't know this. They are not a land grant university in, in the state of Florida. Only the University of Florida is, and Florida University of Florida gets a lot of money that way. FSU does not. They have they have their donors and uh, uh, alumni uh, pour into the to the to the mills, as I say, and uh, it's just not it's it's not a good situation. And the, the gentleman that you just talked about, they're all established coaches. They're all good at what they do, and some of them are cheap, and some of them are not cheap. I can't imagine. Uh, Rule leaving Baylor when he makes four point six million dollars, or Mike Leach at uh, Washington State making four point four million dollars. You know these the other guys that are only making two two and a half million, maybe so. Boyson is a good choice. He would wake him up, that's for sure. But what do you say? I mean, you know, if you're an FSU fan or an alumni, you're just throwing your hands up and say, "What else could these guys do to screw this situation up?" <laughs> yeah. And I and I would be I would be really really pissed if they if they started going after some of these guys uh, that are still working. I don't think that's fair. Well, and here here's the other conversation. What about a man who entrenched himself at a school that confused everybody, including you and I? What about Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic? That came out late yesterday afternoon that Lane Kiffin is interested in the FSU uh, that job. Now, Lane is a, first of all, he's a brilliant man. He's a brilliant young man, offensive genius. He had the, all every all the parts moving at, at uh, Alabama. You know, he's had some problems at Tennessee and at, uh, I think, Southern Cal. Uh, he's, he's grown up a lot. You know, he's in his mid-40s now, early to mid-40s, and he would really take the place by storm because he's a no-nonsense kid. He's, he, he knows how to win. He knows, certainly knows how to recruit. Uh, I, I like the, the choice. I, I really do. I don't know if he's seriously considering it or is it someone just put it out there like you know, we're talking about maybe Dino Babers being uh, uh, considered for this job. He should be. You know, he's a successful coach. Uh, Lane Kitchen is, is another animal, though. Lane is in another league. He's, uh, he's, he's an offensive genius. And he probably could really take to Tallahassee by storm. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, why go to Florida and why be entrenched there? And I just and I don't know Lane Kiffin personally, but you know, it's a, you know some of these coaches I have gotten to know. I don't know Lane Kiffin well, but there's something about him that makes me feel like 
he would not go to Florida Atlantic unless he knew that there, like he, unless he knew he was taking a step towards something or be close to something or have an opportunity. I just get that vibe that he wouldn't have gone to FAU unless he knew, hey, if I go here, I got a shot at this or this could springboard me to that. I don't see him being at FAU forever in a day. So, you know, to me, I just kind of look at the situation and say, okay, you know what? What makes sense is that he went to FAU thinking, I want to be ready for when this thing comes up. And it kind of just works out that Florida State's not that far away. And for him to make that move wouldn't be asking too much of him. He's already been recruiting in the state of Florida. And, you know, people know his name and whatnot. At the same time, does Florida State want all the hoopla around that? And then you look at guys like Luke Fickle at Cincinnati and Mike Norvell at Memphis, my guys in the American Athletic, two tremendous coaches, you know, and, and would they want that? Would, do they want to keep building what they're building or would they want to take on that job that they already know if you don't get it done in a couple seasons, you get fired? And then, you know, outside of that, you know, like Dino Babers that you brought up, you know, Dino, and it's funny because, you know, Dino's only won three games this season against teams he should beat and mind you. The three, the only three teams that Syracuse has defeated on the football field this season just so happen to have better records than Syracuse overall. So Syracuse defeats Holy Cross. They have, they have five wins. Western Michigan has five wins. Liberty has the exact opposite record of Syracuse. They're 6-3 and three to Syracuse's 3-6. and six. So even the teams that Syracuse defeated are playing better than they are, and the team that blew out Syracuse, Maryland, has the same record at 3-6 and six and hasn't really done that to anybody else except for Howard. So, you know, Syracuse's football season looks terrible on paper, but Dino Babers is a guy who obviously ignites a lot. There's good PR that's around him. We know all the thing, you know, ESPN ate it up and the country and the world ate up his his speeches. We know that he can win big time games. We know that he could beat Clemson and Florida State has been on the, you know, has been behind Clemson for so long when Florida State used to be the team that was feared in the ACC for football. So the question is, even in a down year, and I believe this, even in a down year because they can get them cheaper, you know, does Florida State make that phone call to Dino and say, hey, you're not going to get it done up there. You're not getting your four stars and your five stars up in Syracuse. It's not working out in your favor. You know, come be in the warm weather and come coach with us. I do still think that Dino would be a viable choice for Florida State if both sides were interested. Absolutely, undeniably. And you you hit on a very important point, which is recruiting. Four-star, five-star. Listen, he's Lance is down in the southern part of the state. He's trying to compete with Miami and Florida Southern and Florida State and, and Florida for, for these four- and five-star athletes. Yeah. And he, he gets his share, but he, he doesn't get – he maybe gets 10% of them, you know. Yeah. He's got to be left with the two-stars and the three-stars. And he's licking his chops if Lance or Dino, for that fact, and say, listen, if I can go to Florida State – I can start getting the five stars and the four stars and not be stuck with the twos and three stars, even though there's nothing wrong with those players. Right. So something like that makes a lot of sense for for uh, for Babers and because Babers is used to uh, recruiting in Florida, and uh, certainly Lane Kiffin knows Florida inside and out. So it, it makes sense. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know Kiffin doesn't have a lot of morals. Sometimes he doesn't really care about what he does and what people thinks and he sometimes he can be real stupid uh but he if they came to him and started talking to him even while their season is in is in session 
Yeah. He'll take he'll take the damn job. The hell with his kids. You know? That's that's the way he is. But by the same time on the other side of the coin, he, he can do it. He can do the job up there. Oh yeah, and you know, and, and that's the thing is, you know, we've talked about it before. I've talked about it on the show before here, that you know, Syracuse has to you know, when you're recruiting and you're not recruiting your area, you know, and, and that's and that's the difficult part of all this. Syracuse is not recruiting their area at all. They're not recruiting, you know, CBA and CNS and and Nottingham and West Genesee and all that. You know, these players are going and Aquinas and Rochester. I mean, a little bit of that, but these players are going to buy. And I just said this. This is a giant insult, a giant insult, and a, and a massive hit. That's a loss on top of a loss. Is not only did you get blown out by Boston College, who doesn't blow anybody out. But you got blown out by a Boston College team that recruits Central New York better than any other team in the country, including you. So, you know, that's that's a harsh hit that Steve Adazio, who used to be an assistant coach at Syracuse, has a huge connection that he's never lost with Syracuse. He still recruits the area extremely well. Randy Etzel, big connection to Syracuse, former assistant coach, still recruits the area very well. Paul Pascaloni, when he was in the college ranks, now he's in the pro ranks, but at college, was recruiting the area still very well, former head coach of the team. So these coaches leave Syracuse, and they recruit Syracuse, yet the coaches in Syracuse won't even ride a bike down the street to go see a game that's five minutes away, and they're losing guys like Stevie Scott, who are playing for Indiana, who, mind you, came from my alma mater, CBA, and Stevie Scott is a true freshman in football last year, only reached over 1,000 yards rushing, and only set a new Indiana school rushing record for a true freshman ever in their history of existence, but he wasn't good enough for Syracuse. So, you know, you look at situations like that, and you say, okay, you're not recruiting your area, you're recruiting down in Florida. If that's such an emphasis, and it has been, of the recent staffs of Scott Schaefer and Dino Babers, if that's what you want, you're getting scraps. You're getting the fourth wide receiver choice from Florida State. You're getting Miami, you know, when Miami gets the yeses from a bunch of guys and they have to tell a couple guys no they gave scholarships to, those are the guys that are coming to Syracuse. The ones that were spurned in recruitment, the ones that were under-recruited, the ones that were forgotten. You're not getting the number one players from Florida. Florida State, Florida are getting those players. Miami could be getting those players. You know, you got to go up, just to be in the state of Florida, you have to go against FIU, FAU, UCF, USF, Florida State, Florida, Miami, and on top of all of that, in the South, you're fighting against the team, you're fighting against Georgia, you're fighting against Alabama, you're fighting against Texas, that are also going to go to that area, that are a lot closer to that area. So by the time you get a wide receiver out of Florida, it's somebody who has, you know, just been left, forgotten, misunderstood, whatever it may be. And Steve Ishmael told me that. He came to Syracuse because he wanted to tell Florida State and Miami, and he wanted to make them know the mistakes that they made. He wanted them to pay for the mistakes that they made. I'm not hearing somebody from Florida saying, I'm coming to Syracuse because it's a great school. They're coming to Syracuse after they've been disrespected, under-recruited, forgotten, or screwed over by a coach. They're not coming to Syracuse if these schools really want them nine times out of ten. You're right. And another thing that's happening, unfortunately, up there at uh, Tallytown is, uh, you know, the kids are starting to decommit from the program that they that they committed to uh, under Taggart. Right. And it doesn't look like Odell can keep them together. I think they've lost three or four kids already. And, you know, you're, Willie Taggart was a, a, a black man, a, a very learned person, good football coach, goes down into the – 
into the south part of the state, sits at the, the kitchen table with the grandmas and says, I can take care of your grandson or your son, and he gets them to come up there to Florida State. He, he doesn't have a problem recruiting. But now there's no one to tell grandma or mom, you know, where who's going to take care of my son now? Right. So my, son, my son's not going there. So, you know, not only is a new coach got to try to fit their way in and, and recruit, they've got to pick up the pace because some of the kids that have already committed have decommitted. The terrible situation. You know, Syracuse, uh, Syracuse I have such fond memories of Syracuse uh, growing up. Uh, I, I remember my uncle was a, a, a coach in, in a junior high school, and he graduated from Syracuse, and he brought me to – he brought me to the sidelines one day up at Old Archbold Stadium, and I'm I'm walking this I'm walking the sidelines. I'm watching all these these players. All of a sudden, I'm I'm standing there, and some big old guy comes up next to me. He looks. He says, "How you doing?" I says, "I'm fine." I I didn't know. I was shocked. It was John Mackey, the tight end. He's about nine million feet tall and weighed about four hundred pounds. He was huge. Yeah. You know, I'm a little old guy. You know, a little old twelve twelve year old. You know, and I was just shocked. I was awed. And I said that John Mackey came up and said hello to me. And uh, I'll never forget that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the old Archbold Stadium is there anymore. And I got one of these plastic domes. But I don't know if that happens anymore. <laughs> no, and, and that's the thing. You know, and, 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 that's, and that's the troublesome part. You know, and, and, and with Florida State, like you brought up, I mean, Willie Taggart is somebody that I got to know over the years. I had him for three years, I believe, at least, at, at South Florida. And he helped bring South, South Florida out of the basement after Holtz had been in there and, you know, things just weren't working, he helped set up South Florida and he set up Charlie Strong. Then he went off to Oregon and he had success in Oregon, but he wanted to be at Florida State, so he wasn't even there for a calendar year and jumped back to Florida State. I mean, here's a guy who left a job in Oregon that he was having success in. He left that job to be at Florida State, and now look what happened. He's thinking in his head, wow, this is a dream come true. He goes from one coast to the other coast and gives that up, and now here he is without a job. And now you got to try and find a head coaching job. And that's, you know, but that's the catch-22 in this. Some coaches screw over colleges, some colleges screw over coaches. And, you know, and back and forth, you try and figure out a place that's going to fit. And so that's the question you have to ask yourself. You know that Florida State is a place where you have to win immediately. Willie Taggart needed time at South Florida. And in all honesty, I thought that they were going to fire him the year that they ended up giving him an, an extension. They gave him an extension the year that I, the three-year extension the year that I thought he was going to get fired. Because, and he started to finally turn things around. He started to right the ship. He started to put things in a good place. And I give him all the respect in the world for doing that. But it is not an easy job, and it is not an easy task to do. And it is such a difficult thing to be a college football head coach. And everybody looks at, well, they leave, and they jump ship, and they screw over the kids. Yeah, there is that part of it. But there's also the other part of it of they have to win damn near every single game just to stay relevant with you know places like Florida State and places like Alabama and Ohio State and whatnot. You have to consistently win. And that's the, you know, there's a reason why everybody knows Harbaugh's name. There's a reason why we all know Saban and while we, you know, why we all know Jimbo Fisher and, and we know Willie Taggart now and this, that, and the other. Because there's certain programs in this nation that if you do not win immediately, there's going to be an issue. And I know this, and this is sad, but Dabo Sweeney is a tremendous head coach. I respect the heck out of him. I love talking with him. I appreciate every moment I get with him, especially when we talked about faith. 
And I know this for a fact. If Dabo Sweeney had two bad seasons for the next two years, there's people in Clemson that would be asking for his head on a stick and they would forget everything that he did. So there, there's the positive of building a program, but there's the other side of building a program, which is once you build it, you better never, ever take a brick out of that building or else they're going to crucify you for it. That's true. Look at look at Saban. Yep. A lot of, a lot of programs in the country that uh, I'm not sure Jim Harbaugh up there is, is in good shape right now, but it looks like he's, he saved his job last time. It's a difficult call. I, I, I hope that Florida State solves their problems. Uh, I just hope they do it in a in a in a humane way and a way that's not insulting to the uh, to the students and to the alumni and to the people that pay the bills up there. Remember, FSU is not a very wealthy university, so for them to come up to, for the twenty million dollars, actually it's eighteen million dollars, they had to reach out to donors and alumni. Can you imagine that? That's what they did. Yeah. That's what the that's what the donors did. That they hustled every FSU alumni person and said, This guy isn't working out. We need our goal is eighteen million dollars and they got it. And they came up to the President Thrasher, probably put the check on the on the, on his desk and says, He's gotta go. And which what's President Thrasher gonna do? Or do they you know, and the question is though, now if you're looking for one of these coaches you wanna pay him millions of dollars, are you gonna hustle the alumni again? That's their problem, not mine. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, to say, you know, we're going to have a coach during the, you know, we're going to figure this coach out. We're going to have this coach during the season. If you want Dave Clawson, if you want P.J. Fleck, if you want Mark Stoops, if you want Matt Campbell, you know, and Matt Rule in this, I can't speak for everybody, but I would like to think the time that I spent with Matt Rule, the time that I've spent with Dave Clawson, the time that I've spent, you know, around Mike Norvell and Luke Fickle, that I can't imagine that Luke would leave his team in the middle of the season. Norvell would leave his team in the middle of the season. You know, I, I can't see Dave Clawson even thinking, like even even having that conversation because of how he responds to some stuff, which I respect. And I can't see Rule doing it. Those are guys that I feel like I can speak of. But, you know, to, to, to talk about that, I mean, the American Athletic Conference Commissioner, Mike Oresco, said we're losing UConn, so we're not going to have 12 schools. We're going to have 11. We want to have equal co- divisions in our conference, and if we keep the divisions, we have to add a school, but we're not looking to disrupt the climate of college football, and I don't want to disrespect my friends at other conferences that are commissioners, and I don't want to mess with things, so we'll only do it if it's right and it makes sense for everybody because we're not here to be disruptive. Florida State, if that's the case, you're saying the opposite. You're saying, screw what's going on. Let's take him. Dave Clawson's got a 7-1 and one team. He ain't going anywhere. Matt Rule's undefeated. He's not going anywhere. P.J. Fleck is undefeated. He's not going anywhere. Franklin's undefeated. He's not going anywhere. Satterfield just got to Louisville. He's not going to go anywhere, especially in division. Mike Norvell is vying for potentially his third trip to the AAC championship game and another double-digit winning season. He's not going anywhere. And Luke Fickle is building the hell out of Cincinnati and loving that, and he cares about that. He's not going anywhere, at least right now. So, you know, and Brian Harson just got his, you know, he's just starting to warm the seat in, in Boise State. So, you know, I mean. He's the one I like. He's the one I think will go. He's the one you think? Yep. Is Brian he's, Harson? He's, he's cheap to buy. He's, a, he's got a cheap buyout and he doesn't make a lot of money. He doesn't even make $2 million a year, I don't think. 
No, he doesn't. Yeah, that, you know, so, you know, something like that. If someone were to wave $4 million in front of him to say, uh, he'd say goodbye to Boise State. That, that's one guy. But the, the other ones that you mentioned, I think, are all solid. They're not going anywhere. Harson is the one I would think. Well, and the thing about Harson, which is interesting, is he would be coming from Boise State. And I liken that to when, uh, when uh, Bronco Mendenhall came from BYU and he went to Virginia. You know, he was very cheap to get from BYU and to bring over to Virginia and look at the success he's had there inside of the same conference of the ACC. You know, one guy that I could see jump in ship because, ah, who cares, and he's already been screwed is Les Miles, and he's at Kansas. So, you know, I mean, that's – but I don't know Les. But I, if I look at the situation and say, you know, what what coach would I pick to leave if I had to put money on any of these names? I would say Les Miles, you know, in, in that type of situation because he'd be getting a better job. But, you know, all, but he's also doing good things with Kansas right now. And I don't want to speak to Les Miles and, you know, his character because I don't know him that well. And, and other, you know, these other coaches, I do know that they would at least finish out their season. And, you know, I don't know if they would want that job right now. Obviously, Jimbo Fisher left for a reason. So if I'm any one of these guys on this quote unquote coaching hot board, I would be calling Jimbo Fisher saying, why did you leave? What did you see? Be honest with me. What's happening in Florida State? Because Jimbo Fisher could have stayed there. They would have made him a statue, put his name on the field, you know, gave him more money than he'd ever get anywhere else over the span of his lifetime, idolized him, treated him like a saint in Tallahassee, and he could have stayed there forever in a day, and, and his kids could grow up there and know that dad was one of the greatest things to ever happen to Florida State, and it would be Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Bowden, and that would be the history of Florida State, two statues next to each other, arm in arm. So there's a reason why he left Florida State. And I feel like all this struggling the last couple seasons and last year, Willie Taggart telling me that he was trying to figure out, you know, ultimately who wanted to be there in the locker room tells me that that maybe Jimbo saw something happening that he didn't want to take responsibility for. There, remember what I said earlier about Florida State not being they're a They're not a land grant university at, in the state of Florida. Yeah, they have a lot of difficult times getting money up. They don't have the best of. Uh, situations there they don't have a good practice field their uh their weight room needs to be updated a lot of things need to be updated now it's no secret that jimbo fisher went on the record and actually spoke about this kind of stuff and saying damn i wish they would fix this for me gosh i wish they'd fix this for me i need this i need that and he kept he kept asking and nothing happened so i mean there's only so many times you can beat your head against the door because they just don't have the resources. The only big money they make is from the ACC, probably TV con- contract. So, you know, if you want a new, covered new field, if you want a new uh, weight room, if you want to do this, you want to do that, you know, it takes money. And he, I think he saw that and says, I can't stay here anymore. So he goes to a place that has multi-million dollars practice field. They have everything for him, everything that he wanted. Right, and, you know, now he has an opportunity, and, and he's inside of – you know, he's obviously in, inside of the SEC now, and you know, I don't know what it's going to do for him ultimately in the grand scheme of things. Because unless you just, I thought it was crazy to take that job myself, but it was so much money that I'm not sure you want to play LSU in Florida and in Alabama every year. But that's what he wanted, so what the heck? Well, and, and I don't think that that's where he's going to end. I think ultimately he's going to end up somewhere else. Could be back in the ACC. Could go. You know, I I just I don't see. I don't, maybe in the Big Ten, I don't see Jimbo Fisher staying there forever because you're entrenched in a conference 
that is known for Alabama and outside of that, I mean, you're in this conference. If you look at the SEC and where Texas A&M is, Texas A&M is on Alabama's side with LSU and Auburn. So you want to get, you want to even just get to the SEC championship game. You got to hope Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Arkansas stay down. Then you got to hope that Auburn goes down, which they don't have a lot of bad years recently. LSU, you got to hope that they go down, and Alabama's never going down. So Texas A&M, in the time that Jimbo Fisher is there as the head coach, may never get to the SEC championship game. Will probably never be undefeated. So they may might may make a good bowl here, there, and whatever. But he's six and three right now. And you're not going to get out of Alabama most of the time. 99.9% of the time, you're not getting past Alabama. Now you're not getting past LSU, maybe Auburn. If you do, you got Georgia, you got Florida. And we both knew that Dan Mullen was going to change Florida around. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's great to take the job and take the money right now. But I would imagine that Jimbo Fisher is keeping his ear to the ground and understanding that he's not going to end his career with the Aggies. That's right. Exactly right. That's exactly right. So we're going to take a step aside for a fast break here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. When we come back, we'll talk about Syracuse's football woes and the fact that they just fired their defensive coordinator, who, no big deal, just gave up almost 60 points to Boston College, gave up 63 points to a 3-6 and six Maryland team, and when he came into Syracuse, was giving up just shy of 40 points a game. So, I mean... I. I, I guess I guess you know maybe he would be a good offensive coordinator for the other team in teaching him what to do, but defensively it wasn't working. And how much of that falls on Dino Babers? Proud to be here with you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, and we're also on Facebook Live, facebook.com backslash live now DT with the internet streaming radio mixlr.com backslash wake up call DT. So whether you're internet radio or internet TV, however you're connecting with the show, thank you so much. All of it is from the Charney's menswear and tuxedo studios. They got that Tommy Bahama that PJ and I love so much and they have different styles, basically any style for any man, find what fits you regular, big and tall sizes. And it doesn't matter if you're looking for sports tuxedos, something nice, something to dress up, dress down, whatever it may be from head to toe. You walk into Charney's, you get what you need, you walk out, you go home, you take a nap. That's how easy it is. That's how easy it is, folks. You go to Charney's one-stop shop for menswear, and it is local. They've served our community for over 60 years. And so not only are you supporting local, you're supporting you're supporting someone that's been with us for a long time, a fabric piece of our city and our community, and they have what you need, so they make it easy. If you walk into Charney's, you'll find something for you. And, it's, of course, with December coming up here, you'll find something for your family members as well. Inside of the conversation with Mr. Papa Joe, there is only one Papa Joe ever created in over thousands and thousands of years of existence. Mon Pa's Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factory is bringing you what's popping, and Papa Joe and I are popping over to the Syracuse football conversation here this morning and if you go to wakeupcalldt.com and you click on the articles tab you'll see over 500 articles that I have written in our internet newspaper that will give you a bunch of information about uh, Syracuse football, ACC, Syracuse men's basketball, NCAA, the Jaguars, the American Athletic Conference and so on and so forth. With the Syracuse football conversation I had read this earlier on in the in the week but I wanted to go to just a couple points here. Syracuse made the decision to fire their defensive coordinator, Brian Ward. I wrote an article that would be 
two years to the day tomorrow, or pardon me, um, a, a year, it would be a year and a, a couple months to the day tomorrow that I wrote this. I wrote this September 8th, 2018. I put by the numbers, a change is needed on defense. The eerie thing about this, if, if I go, should go back to a couple points that I had made earlier on this week, is that Brian Ward, when he started off as defensive coordinator, he was at Drake. Drake is in the FCS. He allowed 17.8 points per game. Then he went to Western Illinois. He allowed 28.2 points per game in 2012, 25.25 in 2013, and 27.25 in 2014, which tells you that the offense on the other side of the ball for Western Illinois had to score 30 points a game just to be safe because of Brian Ward's defense giving up almost 30 points a game. Then he went to Bowling Green. When he went to Bowling Green, he gave up 28.9 points per game. Then he came to Syracuse and in 2016 gave up 38.58 points per game and in 2017 gave up 32.17 points per game. Last year was a little bit better, but ultimately this year the problems came back, giving up 63 points to a Maryland team that's 3-6 and six now and 58 points to a Boston College team that is not typical, very atypical, of scoring 58 points in a game. And they gave up 48 points to a mere 10 scored in three quarters to end the game after being ahead. So, with that being said, Papa Joe, I had made the statement that you can't have an offense have to score at least 30 points a game just to stay competitive because that's not real football. What are your thoughts? Now that you know that Brian Ward has been fired, to look back at his numbers and to see that he went from not bad to bad to really bad to oh my god this guy's given up over 30 points a game in the ACC yeah, that's a terrible those are terrible uh, uh, numbers at all um, I don't know what to say about Mr. Ward but you know that the buck stops with Dino yeah and perhaps maybe uh, he maybe he's the one that, that wanted Ward to come over with him uh, if he did then he had to fire him and bring someone else in there you know there's only one it says offensive coordinator defensive corner there's only one person as the head coach and he makes all the decisions and unfortunately Dino's is not doing it uh, you know I thought DeVito would be a much better quarterback he's still a good quarterback I think he, I thought he would be much better this year uh, coming off of last year and uh, maybe it's a lot to ask DeVito in the offense to score 35 points a game. If that's if that's the case, then, you know, you guys are behind the, the eight ball uh, before you even tee it up. So uh, I don't know what Dino's going to do, but perhaps, and I'm only surmising here, and this is just my opinion, uh, I, perhaps maybe it's time for Dino to say, look, you know, I've, I've had a great run in Syracuse. I've done a lot of good things here. Some things haven't been good here of late. Maybe it's time for me to just step down and take a look elsewhere and see what's happening. Uh, I, I certainly wish him luck. I, I, I hope that the, the powers to be don't fire him. I hope that they go out and he goes out on his own accord. If he does go out and uh, he certainly deserves that. And I, if he does, he's going to land, he's going to land somewhere really good. Well, you know, and, and that's the thing that we're looking at right now is what happens. You know, there's fans that, that thought last year, Oh my God, we're going to lose Dino Babers. What are we going to do without Dino Babers? How are we going to survive without Dino Babers? And now these fans are going, nobody nobody would come near him with a 10-foot pole and hire him. I don't agree with that. I think that Dino Babers, what he has been able to do, he has beaten top 25 teams. He, is, he was undefeated at home last year, including a win over Clemson, a win over you know a reigning national champion, and then, or, you know, in recent history here. 
and you look at, you know, what they were able to do last, or pardon me, that was the season before, and then what they were able to do this past season, win 10 games, set a bunch of records, do, you know, this was first since 1991, first time this since 2001, first time that, I mean, there was things that Syracuse was doing that haven't happened in 17 years, 20 years, so on and so forth. So, you know, there was a lot of great that happened while he was at Syracuse. It's just the inconsistency, but he could turn around and say, well, that inconsistency comes from recruiting. That inconsistency comes from the fact that I hired the wrong defensive coordinator, whatever it may be. But I think that Dino Babers has been a viable option for other schools, you know, for the last few seasons. I think in his second season, he could have left. I think that last season he could have left. And I think that, you know, this season there's still interest and there's still an opportunity. There's people that have gotten jobs that didn't make any sense how they got jobs. Dino, I think, is still in a place where people consider him to have a lot of football ahead of him, a lot of opportunity ahead of him. They know that he can do some good things. They know that, you know, with more talent, you know, on the offensive line, if he had deeper place on the offensive line and more guys that were there and whatnot, there's schools that constantly are used to doing that. Clemson can always back it up. They lose their entire defensive line. They're still undefeated. So, you know, at Syracuse, it took four to five years to build the line they had last year. Now they're trying to rebuild a line again. That's going to take a lot of time. And to get those guys in there is tough because it's hard to bring guys into a program where it snows six or seven months a year. And on top of all of that, they haven't had success. So why would somebody want to, if Syracuse is recruiting you, Louisville's recruiting you, Wake Forest, Clemson, and and I'm going to throw Wake Forest in there because they don't get respect, they deserve it. But if Clemson's recruiting you, Florida State's recruiting you, Louisville's recruiting you, where are you going to go? Louisville's having success under their coach right now in his first year. Florida State has had success, and you know that it's nice weather and this, that, and the other. Clemson's had tremendous success. There's a bunch of teams that are turning it around. Syracuse is a hard sell, but Dino is the best thing that's happened to Syracuse football in over a decade, and fans can say whatever they want to say. If they lose him, they're still going to be pissed off, and they're still going to be upset about it because he has been the best addition that they've had in a really long time. So to think he's not a viable option somewhere else in the country, I think is crazy. And I've seen coaches with bad records or subpar records get hired. That's you're thinking, how, how did they get that job? But it's because of the overall body of work and what they've been able to do on top of all of that, though, he did hire Brian Ward. He did know Brian struggled to stop anybody and he brought him into Syracuse. And after Brian Ward left 38 points, per game and 32 points per game given up in those first two seasons, he kept him on the staff. So that does fall on Dino. And there's a lot of fans coming out now saying, you know, this is not a player problem. This is a Dino problem because they're one of the most penalized teams in the country. They weren't prepared. They didn't prepare the backups to be ready when the starters were gone. And Dino knew that this was going to happen. So, you know, it's there's all of these things that are on Dino Babers that I agree with. There's also the other element that I think instead of him having to deal with the headaches and and having to deal with everything going on, if he could just leave and take another job, maybe that's an option. Mm -hmm. It should be. You know, so I I mean, it's just, it's a dirty, it's a dirty, murky water right now in Syracuse. And it's, it's very unfortunate at this point. So Syracuse football, not where it needs to be. We obviously know that that needs to change. Let's talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars as we head in to the uh, tail end of our conversation here with Papa Joe this morning inside of Papa Joe's Picks every single Thursday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. And we we float over into the second hour because we always had good conversation. I always appreciate it. 
So, Papa Joe, we look at Jacksonville. Gardner Minshew, you said this. You said if, if they go over to, to London and Gardner Minshew's the starter and he doesn't get the job done, Nick Foles will probably take the job back after the bye week. Jacksonville's in a bye week right now. They've got an extra week to prepare Nick Foles. It's perfect timing for him to come back from injury, be able to play, and have a bye week. It's also coming off of a game where Jacksonville looked absolutely terrible. Gardner Minshew's fantasy football numbers weren't bad, but the reality numbers of Jacksonville's game were atrocious in week number nine. And the team that goes to London more than any other team in the country only scored three points in a 26-3 loss in London. So this set up a perfect opportunity for Nick Foles, an extra week and a loss. But Gardner Minshew helped everybody get past the Jalen Ramsey woes, and he's gotten all that positivity, and he's sold more merchandise than maybe anybody in Jacksonville in recent history. He's right up there with Mickey Mouse right now in the state of Florida. So what's your take on Gardner Minshew? Because it's a perfect setup for Nick Foles, but at the same time, Gardner Minshew has been such a feel-good story for Jacksonville. Well, the last couple of weeks I've gone on record saying that, you know, you don't you don't stop the train uh, if this is going good. I mean, uh, Minshew's done a great job. Uh, he, you know, you can't overemphasize how good this kid has been doing. I mean, right out of the box, kid's not even sweated up. He's got to come into a game, his first game, he goes 22 for 25 and a million yards, and all of a sudden everyone's looking good. Yeah. And, and, and then he's progressed, it's progressed and regressed. The problem with Gardner is that he just he fumbles and he throws interceptions. Not that many interceptions, he fumbles a lot. He fumbles a lot because he's moving around in the pocket, he's trying to make plays. I don't fault him for that, and I don't fault Marone for keep playing him. But what I, I've caught a podcast of Marone's yesterday about his uh, – about his reasons for doing what he's doing. When they when they got Nick Foles, they put in an entirely different offensive system just for him. Yeah. And they worked that way all the way through the camps and everything right up until the, the first game. That offense was set up just for Nick Foles. And Minshew had to learn it and, you know, he had to learn it being second string and all of a sudden first string, now he's got to play it. So yeah. uh, it, it makes sense. Uh, but, you know, Marone said that, look, this is the offense that we built specifically for Nick Foles. We're coming off a bye week. I'm going to put him back a quarterback. It's the logical thing to do. Yeah. Me, I, I think I'd have rolled with Minshew. If he didn't fumble the ball a couple times last week, maybe it would have been different. But, you know, he's thrown for, I don't know, 23, 2400 yards, uh, several touchdowns. I mean, He's a breath of fresh air, and uh, I, I'm sure that Coach Marone has seen a player in Minshew that he never thought he could get. You know, he got him as a six round, a six rounder, and you know, just because Mike Leach said he could play football, well, Mike Leach was right. The kid can play football, but unfortunately, you know, you, you, we talked about this before too about uh, Foles being a, a, a 88 million dollar investment over four years with 50 million dollars guaranteed. Yeah, you're gonna put him on. You're gonna put him on the bench, and or cut him and give him 50 million and let Minshew play. No, you gotta let him play. I guess uh, I don't want to see it, but. Uh, I do want to see. I want to see Jacksonville win. That's all I want to see. I want to see Marone make the right decisions. I want to see Coughlin make the right moves. 
uh, if this is the right move, I'm for it. Now, if, if Foles doesn't do it coming off the bye week, then then there's some problems. But, you know, Nick Foles is a consummate professional. He'd, you know, you see him on the sidelines during the games. and yeah. He's talking with Minshew. He's got, he's got his earplugs in. He knows what plays are being pl- called and so on and so on and so on. So, you know, Foles, Foles is a, a consummate professional. So uh, I'm, I'm looking for Jack, Florida, to, uh, Jacksonville to, uh, to go forward with the possibility of uh, Minshew pinch hitting again. Well, you know, and, and, and that's the thing is, you know, I've been a fan of Minshew as well. I was a big fan of them getting Nick Foles. I had spoken about it so much, you know, before it, before it happened and how much it made sense. And, and you and I talked about it. And, you know, for me, I understand that it's such an investment that you made in, in Nick Foles that how can you keep him on the bench? I totally get that. I totally understand that. I respect that. You know, at the same time, you know, Gardner Minshew, I don't think that by any stretch of the imagination this is an easy decision to make. I think that, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of things, you know, Gardner fumbling twice in London, losing both of them, and throwing two interceptions made him responsible for four turnovers. And, you know, that's something that definitely affects the team in a negative way. So, you know, it, it can be a lot. Le- can, this can be a lot of things. It can be a we spent so much money on Nick Foles, let's see if he's worth it. It can be a, let's light a fire under the pants of Gardner Minshew because he made these mistakes and we have to show him that you don't just get the job because somebody was injured. You have to continue to earn that job every day. Not that he doesn't know that, but sometimes you need to, you need to light a fire under someone's butt. But here's the thing. Jacksonville's not out of the race of the AFC South right now. They're 4-5. and five. Indianapolis is 5-3. and three. Houston is 6-3. and three. But Jacksonville is still very much in an opportunity to win this thing because they have to play the Colts and the Texans, uh, you know, uh, again, or they have to play the Colts twice and they have to play the uh, Titans as well. You know, they lost to the Texans by one. So, you know, the, the Texans will have the tiebreaker because they lost to them in, in the uh, second week of the season when Gardner Minshew led a comeback toward the end of the game and Doug Marone elected to go for two and they ended up losing by one point because Leonard Fournette couldn't get over the goal line. So, you know, but they do play the Titans and they play the Colts twice here as we continue on. They play a Bucks team that's all over the place, a Chargers team whose defense is strong. They play a Raiders team who has not had success, but they have to go over to the West Coast where Jacksonville typically struggles. And they have to play at Atlanta, and Atlanta's been atrocious this year. So if Jacksonville can get it right and get it together, there is the notion that they could win the rest of these games. And there's also the notion that they could lose the rest or end up somewhere in between but, you know, I mean, I guess this is a good time to see if Nick Foles is worth it because if he goes out and, God forbid, he gets injured again, now you're sitting here saying, okay, we might have bought a lemon. But if he goes out there and he does what he needs to do, then you're saying, okay, well, you know, this is a good investment. you got to keep him rolling. We're not going to get rid of Gardner, obviously. We're not that stupid. But we got to keep Nick Foles out there. But this is a good testing ground because you're 4-5, and five, you're still – in a position to make the playoffs, but this is also a good time to kind of learn and figure things out because you're not in the driver's seat, so you have nothing to lose right now and everything to gain if it works out. And if it doesn't work out for two or three games and you're still in it, you bring in Gardner. If you're not in it, you can still bring in Gardner. But this gives Jacksonville an opportunity, which a lot of teams don't have, which is to see if their backup is worth keeping and if their starters worth they worth what they paid for, 
And I think that they're going to get both of these answers by the end of the season, no matter what happens in the season. I think you're right. And you and I spoke about it all summer long. And once they secured Foles, I think we both agreed that if they wound up 8-8, eight and eight, that we would be very happy. Maybe they're not going to win the division at 8-8, eight and eight, but 8-8 eight and eight is a, it, it's a good foundation to go forward if Foles is making the right place. And now you got Minshew, too. So, listen, I'd be happy with 8-8 eight and eight right now. Yeah, you know, and I, I think a lot of people would be happy with 8-8 eight and eight right now. And, and, and like I said, this is a good testing round to see. You've already seen what you have in Gardner with an upside because there's more to come, and you're going to get to see what you have with Nick Foles. And so this will be an interesting little take. And Nick Foles is, when he when he's supposed to be the starter and supposed to be the guy, he struggles. When he's the guy that comes off the bench, he excels. So maybe this is perfect timing for him to go out there and, and lead this team because when he led Philadelphia, he led Philadelphia in relief, not in being the main person. So, you know, it's, it's just kind of finding what fits. But I think either way, Jacksonville right now has to keep both. But if Nick Foles doesn't do what he's supposed to do, he gets hurt again, things don't work out. Well, now you know that that wasn't money well spent. But at this point in the season, you're going to get to know both sides of it, which I think are important. And I think it's good because, you know, how many teams around the country, PJ, don't know who their backup, you know, what their back. I mean, who would have thought that Teddy Bridgewater would come in for Drew Brees and the team would be 7-1 right now with Brees coming back? So, you know, it's good to know what you have. And it's because obviously you don't get to see that all too often if your quarterback's doing your doing their job, and now you get to put them up against each other. And now Doug Marone and Tom Coughlin and Shad Khan and Dave Caldwell all have a tough decision to make if things work out, which is a good problem to have. And so I don't think that they can lose either way because they either find out that they spent their money well and they got a really cheap backup who's good. Or they found out that they got this really cheap backup and they don't have to waste the money on the other guy. But either way, they're going to they're gonna find out something positive. Well, and I think if they don't, then Mr. Shad has some decisions to make. Because if this doesn't, if this doesn't work out, if they don't at least get 8-8 eight and eight, and the offense is sluggish and there's some problems and so on and so on and so on, defense winds up spitting a bit too. Mr. Shad's got some serious decisions to make, which means... Oh, Uncle Tom and uh, Marone are going to be hitting the streets. Uh, Shad, for, for all his success, uh, he's an extremely patient man, and uh, yeah. he's been really pa- he's been really really patient with the way things are going with Caldwell and 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 Coughlin and so on. You know, making these moves, doing this, doing this. You know, you bring in the, the eighty million dollar quarterback. If this doesn't work, Shad has got serious financial uh, decisions to make. Whether he whether they're going to say get rid of uh, Foles or get rid of Coughlin, Caldwell, and Roan and start all over again. Yeah. And the guy's got ex- the guy's got extreme patience. God bless him. But you know uh, that's down the road. Uh, if 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 he's if he's seven and nine or six and ten, I think we've seen the last of everyone. Yeah, and you know, and that's and that's the thing too is you got to think about coaching at that point as well because Marone has made some mistakes this year including, uh, in my opinion, going for two in that position you there. You go for two on the road. You always go for two at home, not on the road. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, you know, and that was – and he t- and he took a, a comeback victory from Gardner Minshew away. He took a victory a, a, away from the team. And if they had won that game, they would have split with Houston, who's currently in first place. So that mistake, you know, it had a domino effect in multiple different places that's not good. 
So we spoke about Syracuse. We spoke about Jacksonville. We spoke about Florida State. It's time to take a look at the unbeatens that are left in college football. These are the current unbeaten teams. We do it every single week. And before Papa Joe and I make our picks, I'm going to let you know who they are. Now, the American Athletic Conference doesn't have one anymore, but that's because this conference is damn good. And I don't care what anybody says. I'll fight with you all day, every day on this. Cincinnati's 7-1. UCF is 7-2. Navy is 7-1. Memphis is 8-1. And SMU is 8-1 as well. Tulane is bowl-bound at 6-3. And and Temple is one game away. South Florida still has a shot at becoming bowl eligible. East Carolina still has an outside shot, and so does Houston. The only teams that don't are UConn and Tulsa. Everybody else does. Navy is back to play in Navy football. Memphis took down SMU in a huge game for college game day and Saturday night football and the first time ever college game day being in Memphis. Both teams are 8-1 and one right now. Cincinnati has been tremendous. UCF is back at it after losing a couple games. Great, great division, or great conference. But the undefeateds, Clemson is 9-0. and In the ACC, they have won. The Big 12 has won in Baylor at 8-0. We spoke about Matt Rule. The Big 10 has Ohio State and Penn State, as well as Minnesota. Wisconsin has obviously lost and now has fallen down to 6-2. Minnesota and Penn State will play one another in a Big 10 game between divisions, and that will decide who stays undefeated. Ohio State, as I said, is still undefeated as well. Conference USA has none. Independents have none, including Notre Dame. Mid-American has none. The Mountain West has none. Boise State's now 7-1. San Diego State is as well. The Pac-12 has none. They have Utah and Oregon are 8-1. Everybody else after that's a huge drop-off, 4-4s and 5-4s and whatnot. The SEC has Alabama and LSU. Outside of that, nobody else, and they're both on the same side. And the Sun Belt, Appalachian State, lost a game. They're now 7-1, and one, no longer undefeated after losing to Georgia Southern 24-21. So with that being said, Papa Joe, not many undefeateds that are left. The, the list is getting smaller and smaller. One in the ACC, one in the Big 12, three right now in the Big 10, and in the SEC, there are two. What are your thoughts? Uh, going to be a good weekend. You know, we've we've been following this from the get-go, and uh, we saw an awful lot of schools after a couple of week couple of weeks uh, be undefeated. Yeah. And when they start beating each other's head, and you wind up uh, down with these guys, and it's just just it's the same ones. I mean, we're talking about Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, and Clemson. Those are my four. I mean, I'm not going to change that. Uh, I look for Penn State and Minnesota to both lose somehow. I don't know how uh, how they're going to lose if they're going to play each other, and then. One of them has got to play Ohio State. I don't think the other one does play Ohio State. But so, you know, they can't they can't settle it on the field. If it comes down to a one loss, if Alabama beats LSU this weekend, they're going to play Georgia for the SEC championship. They'll probably win that game. LSU had one of the hardest schedules in the, comp- in the, in the conference, period, and in the country this year, playing several top flight teams, even with one loss, I think they make the final four. So I still have OSU, which I I hedged a little bit, but I, I agree now. Alabama, LSU, and Clemson. You know, you got to be Clemson on the field. Baylor, you know, here's something strange. I looked at this Baylor and TCU game coming up, and I looked at it three different ways. And they got this game is almost like a pick em. Yeah. Baylor's undefeated. TCU is four and four with Gary Patterson. You know how 
fervid he can be on the sidelines. Uh, you know, I don't. Baylor just has not gotten any respect this year, and they're not going to get it, even if they beat TCU by 50 points. You know, they're not going to be in this conversation of the Final Four. It's unfortunate. Uh, but that's the way it is. And the, the four that we talk about, uh, someone in there is going to have one loss. It may even be Georgia, too. You never know. It could be Georgia and LSU. But I look for, as I do every year, I know I keep woofing on the SEC all the time, yeah. uh, but I, I look for two SEC teams being in this year uh, as opposed to OSU and Clemson. Yeah, you know, and it's tough. I want to give a shout-out to Western Michigan, totally outside of conversation. They're now bowl eligible. Shout-out to my buddy Tim Lester for doing his thing. But, you know, no, like you, you said in, in this situation, you know, with Penn State, and here, here's my thing. The committee, the college football playoff committee, has not given Penn State a lot of respect, really, since the college football playoff institution. And when they were considered like the fifth best team within the last few seasons, they took them as the fifth best team and made them play in a New Year's Bowl game in California against USC. It was like, hey, you're the better team. You were just outside the college football playoff. So my our present to you for being the next best team outside of the playoff is to go play a road game like you don't matter. So, you know, now with Penn State, this is the question that I ask you. We know the college football playoff committee has disrespected the Big Ten. And they have disrespected, specifically, in my opinion, Penn State. Penn State's playing Minnesota this week. They're both undefeated. Then Penn State has to play Ohio State on November 23rd. So here's my question to you, Papa Joe. Did the college football playoff ranking, knowing that they disrespect the Big Ten, give the Big Ten two teams because they were both undefeated? I mean, obviously they worked for it, but just hear me out. Did the college football playoff ranker come out in week one and give respect to the Big Ten by giving them two teams and give respect to Penn State by putting them in there, knowing or hedging their bets that Penn State's going to lose one, if not both games, to Minnesota and Ohio State so that they could at least say, hey, we put you in and you saw your own way out as opposed to you deserve to be here, we didn't let you in. Is this a way for the playoff committee to hedge their bets by respecting Penn State the week before Penn State maybe loses? Yes, <laughs> I don't. I, I don't look for Penn State to be there. Uh, I don't. James Franklin's a heck of a coach. Uh, you know, he, he does a great job recruiting. I, I just don't see it. I, I, you know, Ohio State is so dominant, and I, I really had to look at their team. I, I really took some an afternoon out, and I looked at their offensive deep side of the ball, and it, it, they're just they're loaded. And uh, a lot of those, frankly, a lot of those players come from Florida too. So, um, I, I still say. Ohio State is, is, is in the driver's seat. Uh, uh, the Minnesota is a, a fine team, P.J. Fleck. Uh, he, here's how strong. Oh, we may have lost Papa Joe here for a second. Let's get him Let's get him back onto the broadcast here. I believe we lost his connection here for a second, so we're going to bring back Papa Joe here momentarily to get him back onto the broadcast. Okay, so we have him. So you were talking about P.J. Fleck, and we lost you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, th- this is how strong the rumors are. As soon as P.J. Fleck's rumor came out that he was in line for a Florida State coach, Minnesota got together and said, hey, P.J., get in here, will you please? We're going to give you more money. And that's what they did. They tied up a really good young coach for another four or five years. That's how strong these rumors can appear, coming from FSU. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great program, but P.J. Fleck deserves all the credit for bringing Minnesota up. Hey, if they win this week, more power to them. I, they're not going to get any more respect than that, but, you know, they'll get a heck of a bowl game and they'll make a lot of money. But 
No, that's that's the way it is. Uh, uh, you know, you have too many alumni throughout the country from these big schools, and they really throw a lot of weight around. You may not think so, but yeah. they do. And uh, the four teams that we that we wanted at the beginning of the year are still here. Yeah. After all these games. And here's the thing: if LSU loses to Alabama, Alabama loses to LSU. If that's the only loss that either one of these teams has, I still think both of them deserve to be in it. Mm-hmm. They've got to be Georgia, though. They have to be Georgia. Right, right. Whoever makes it out of that. But I'm saying, I'm saying, if LSU comes out of this with one loss to Alabama, or Alabama's only loss of the season is to LSU, I would still put them both in. Absolutely, I agree with that. You know, yep. we had Ohio State, we had Clemson, uh, Penn. I do. I think that this is giving baby a baba for Penn State. I think I think it's saying, okay, Penn State, you're the fourth best team, and then the committee looks at each other and goes, you better damn well hope they lose to Minnesota, Ohio State, or both, because if they lose to them, we can take them out and have reasoning. But if they beat them both, well, we already put them in, so we got to keep them in, and now we're going to screw over Clemson. So I, I mean, I, I honestly believe that this is a way of saying, hey, Penn State, we'll give you what you want, because we expect you to eventually lose. Because if Clemson doesn't lose. And Penn State doesn't lose. Now we have a huge problem that's yep. going to be going on here. But there's big games coming up. Penn State and Ohio State. Penn State and Minnesota is this week. So PJ and I are, are going to jump into that side of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios. We're talking with Papa Joe outside of Hour 1 into Hour 2. We're always 9 to 10. But today we had a lot of great stuff, as we always do. And I appreciate his time tremendously. So... With that being said, we're going to get into our picks quick. I do want to make a note. You just heard Dominic's Restaurant. Trivia is every Wednesday at 7 p.m., typical schedule. But this month, because Syracuse decided to play basketball on pretty much every single Wednesday of the month, we have moved trivia to today. So this week, there's a whole new schedule for November, and then it goes back to normal in December. So for today, November 7th at 7 p.m., we'll be doing trivia. So, So not yesterday, today. So we'll see you at Dominic's tonight, Thursday, November 7th at 7 p.m. for some good old trivia following Syracuse's basketball game yesterday. So Papa Joe and I are getting into our picks this week, and here we go. There's already been games played Tuesday and Wednesday. There's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday games this week. Papa Joe, we're looking at uh, the next game that we have, or the first game I want to talk about, Penn State at Minnesota. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, Penn State's a six-point favorite. Um, they're playing at Minnesota. It probably should be a pick game. We will find out just how good these two teams are. Uh, I like to say that whoever dis- whoever controls the line of scrimmage wins these games, both offense and defense-wise. I'm just going to lean to Penn State because they're the favorite. I think, I think they can beat Minnesota, even though they're playing at Minnesota's home. I am going to go with Minnesota in this game. I'm going. I'm going Minnesota in the matchup. I think that it makes the conversation even more intense for the PJ Fleck Florida State rumor mill. But you know, it'll be interesting here. I think Minnesota wants to prove that they're the real deal and that they are a team that's not a fluke here right now. And they would make the college football playoff committee very happy to bump Penn State out. So well, they... <laughs> I, I, I want to see them play. I've yet to see them play. So yeah. uh, I'm going to watch that game. That's going to be a. I'm only going to watch two games this weekend, and one of them is Alabama LSU, and this is the other one I'm watching. Yeah, and this one's on ABC at noon. Uh, next one up that we have 
is the Baylor at TCU game because you brought it up. TCU, they're they're calling it a pick'em game, like you said. Yet Baylor is undefeated. What do you think about this? I just don't see that. I don't. I don't know who's doing the lines on this stuff. But I mean, you have to go with Baylor. They have so much. They have so much that uh, to play for. I mean, their whole season is probably on the line here. You play Gary Patterson from TCU, and you're going to be throwing the ball all over the place. He's got great defenses. They're only four and four. But uh, you know, Baylor. Baylor needs to win this game, and I think they prevail. We're both going with Baylor in this matchup. Uh, next one up that we got to talk about, Alabama-LSU. It's in Alabama at Bryant-Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa. What do you have for this one? Oh, boy, this is a real barn burner, boy. You, you'll be able to hear the hits on TV. That's how ferocious it's going to be. The only reason I'm picking Alabama is because they're playing at home. But I looked at both of these teams on both sides of the ball, and they're almost identical. They're, they're fast and fleet on the on the offensive side of the ball, and they're mean and aggressive on the decent side of the ball. This is either going to be a 45-42 to 42 or it's going to be a 17-10 to 10 kind of game. Yeah. The only reason I'm picking Alabama is because they're playing at home. I'm going road, baby. Let's see LSU right. do it. At Ogeron, right. let's make it happen. We're on, we're on opposite sides of the spectrum. I think either one of these teams still has a shot at the college football playoff. As we both spoke about, this game's on CBS at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time this Saturday, November 9th, and I'm going LSU. Let's go at Ogeron. He's got a connection back to the Syracuse area, hoping big things for him. Uh, next one up, we have Wake Forest on the road at Virginia Tech. Any thought that they'll trip up, or does Wake Forest go to 8-1? Uh, Virginia Tech's playing pretty good ball. They're 5-3. and three. They are playing at home. Uh, again, Wake Forest has an awful lot to play for, and I see them winning this game. Yeah, I see, I see Wake Forest here winning this matchup as well. So we both have Wake Forest over Virginia Tech on the road. And a final piece here, let's take a look at, I'm going to pick one more game, and that game is going to be, where do I want to go, PJ? I want to pick that, that one here, Missouri at Georgia. Any thought, since Georgia has tripped up before, any thought that they, because I was going to look at Wisconsin, Iowa, but you know, Wisconsin's out of it. Missouri at Georgia, any thought that Georgia would trip up? Missouri has played spoilers the last couple of years, especially with Florida. They beat Florida the last two times at home and in Missouri. They're a tough team to play, uh, although, again, Georgia has an awful lot to play for. I see Georgia winning this game at home. Yeah, I'm going to pick Georgia at home as well, although I think it'll be a good game. So with that, FSU, 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 <laughs> playing at Boston College. Oh, my goodness. Okay, yeah. What do you think about this one? How... I, I gotta say, I gotta say, Boston College is really going to put a whooping on them. But I want to see, I, I want to see something different when I see FSU. If I do watch them, I want to see, I want to see some desire. I, I don't want to see bad penalties or kids fighting. I want to see control. But I still like BC. <laughs> yeah, I'm picking, I'm picking BC in this one since FSU has looked to give up on their season ultimately. And you better watch what you say in that house. Mary T is going to get you on this one. So. I know she will. She's going to come out with her little sweatshirt on right now. Yeah. I hope she drinks out of that mug today. So, All right. So with that being said, Papa Joe, as always on Wake Up Call, I appreciate you. I look forward to talking with you soon. Okay, see you later. Bye. All right, take care.